Hey, Kevin. How hey, are you? Hey, Bob. Doing good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, actually had an interesting day coding today. and I know we don't talk about code a lot, but I figured I could use it as a segue. Well, what's, what's an interesting coding day for Bob Beatty Barr? Well, for those of you who do not know, I am not a very accomplished coder. Actually been sharing this with my mentor at work. The thoughts and opinions of Bob and Kevin of the Bob and Kevin show are exclusively the thoughts of Bob and Kevin and not the thoughts of their employers. Past, present, and probably not future. Bobby, can I jump in real quick? You've, sure. You've got to get over this imposter syndrome thing, man. It's it's depressing me now. Well, it's funny that you bring that up. So if I, the following phrase that I'm about to say, you can tell me if you would have expected someone in my position to have already achieved such code accomplishments. Nah, it's not even an accomplishment because it's still a work in progress. Today, I wrote my very first API controller. <laughs> what? Yeah. No way. Even when you yeah. do CMS work and stuff like that? No, I'm mostly straight up Razor. I mean, my code's pretty simple. You know that. No, I I'm a, didn't know that. <laughs> so, wow. I'm, well, congrats. I, I'm very front end in nature. Um, but I've been trying to solve some problems lately, and an API controller seemed to be the route that I wanted to take to fix a problem. So I dove in and, you know, practiced my Google Foo, and uh, it's actually not that hard. <laughs> did, did you do it with like a, uh, <clears throat> an, a .NET MVC site, or is this with a common CMS Thing this is in our. This isn't a common CMS that we're both well aware of. But oh, from so in your ecosystem, I, if you will. Yeah, from what I read today, it's fairly similar approach. Vanilla MVC versus not. So. Yeah, the the very specific uh, commentary on that is the CMS you're using is really just an MVC site with some things bolted on, and yeah. af after after you grok all that, it's like oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So having said that, you were shocked that I said it was my first API controller, right? Yeah. Because you're like, you know, 29 going on 30 years old. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's add, a little shocking. Add 20 years to that and then you're right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've consumed the results of said API controllers, but I've never written one myself well, insert if you know right tool for the job and if you've been getting by without it i mean you shouldn't use tools just to use the tools and say hey get this new bullet point use use it because it makes sense for you right right and also what i discovered in some of my research is that there were or have been and there might still be plenty of people throughout the lifetime of this project not the project i'm working on but i mean the the cms project that is in my ecosystem uh, that people were doing it the wrong way for a really long time. Um, like people using an API controller to render CMS content within their own front end. So <laughs> when you have tools built into the, basically of the UI of the CMS to do that without the need to create a controller to get that content. But. Ah, yes. Many ways to skin the proverbial cat. 
Um, yeah, I said that phrase the other day in a meeting, and I was like, Oof, makes that's you sound probably old, not cool, right? I guess. <laughs> it sounds makes you sound old and, old and cruel, maybe. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, uh, so I had made a revelation earlier this week that, you know, every bit of code that I ever write, every bit of code that you ever write, every bit of code that some amazing rock star coder will ever write is eventually going to be moot, pointless, and obsolete. Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. And sometimes... Just like some fine tweets on the web, some code doesn't age very well. <laughs> yeah, some some ages better than others. Um, but you know, it's the old level of effort versus return on investment. At some point, you gotta say, you know what? Good enough is good enough. I actually saw a job posting recently that says, "Are you the kind of person where good enough isn't good enough?" I was like, "Oof, I, that's no good enough is good enough." You know, slide that Jira ticket to the right. It's done. <laughs> Next ticket, please. You know, that's how it works for me, at least. There's a lot of interesting stuff online now about job postings again. It it feels like the cycle on the the rage cycle on tech job posting and tech hiring just gets tighter and tighter. And I don't know if that's, you know, symptomatic of the world that we're in right now or are a lot of coders switching jobs i just don't know why it's ramping up again i flipped my linkedin and this is no reflection on my job i love my job but i flipped i flipped my linkedin thing uh are you open to opportunities well who isn't you know yeah sure i'll click that you know who isn't open to opportunity man the floodgates opened the recruiters are just on me like Oh, he must not be happy. No, 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 that I've just, maybe I was just lonely. I don't know. And there you go. But let's not forget recruiters get paid by recruiting. So if they see somebody warm bodies, that's right. DTW, as I like to say down to work, uh, they're going (laughs) to, they're going to look you up. (laughs) I I did see somebody else and and this is not what this podcast is about today, but I did see somebody else uh, post about job posting. You know, you see a job posting. It's got like, um, requirements, this education, these 15 skills, very specific. It's like, wow. I mean, I don't know how you are, Bob, if you were looking for a job and by the time you got to like the third one, that's like, oh, that's not me. I can't do that. It, even if you match the other 12, you just feel like this. Well, it's just, I guess it's just, you know, isn't me. And it, I was it does tell- seem very exclusionary, not, uh, yeah. not, this and or do you like want me to all. be a part of your team or mine is just a cog that you're just you got a, a spindle right waiting for me to put me on to you know it's like <laughs> i was telling one of my my oldest boy i was like you know um i took a job once on pure faith and nothing to do with religion there but they're like hey we see you want to learn net we're a net shop you're coming from php and lamp and all that we're willing if you're willing, if you want to learn on the job, we'll hire you. Boom, I took the job, and then it worked out. That's probably unheard of, but... <laughs> you know, I'm I think- seeing a lot more companies. I mean, you know, like, there's, of course, the people that are looking for the unicorns with the special crystal horn, apparently. Not even a unicorn <laughs> school anymore. But um, then there's other companies that are emphasizing that your potential is more important than where you currently are. So are you a good learner? What's your learning style? Are you willing to learn? Yeah. And 
that's encouraging. I mean, you're familiar with the phrase dead end jobs. A job itself has only so much room to grow and a employee only has so much room to grow themselves. Maybe they're fully matured. Maybe they're early on and they're in their process. Who really knows? But yeah, uh, jobs. Fun time. You are listening to the Bob and Kevin show with Bob Beatty Bar and Kevin Gishesky. Each week, we cover relevant tech and social issues related to technology. Our website is bobandkevin.show. And our episodes can be found virtually on any podcast network. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for Bob and Kevin Show. So as a coder, do you consider yourself more of a traditional coder or a coder entrepreneur? Because this is kind of a segue, I think, into what we want to talk about today. Um, I am a coder, period, entrepreneur, period, not a coder, no punctuation, entrepreneur, period, if that made any sense. You're not a coder hyphen entrepreneur? Exactly. I, I guess the question that I'm trying to ask is, you know, there's people out there that code. I consider myself maybe kind of like one of them. Um, and then there's people out there that code to make product, to ah. sell said product, to put money in their bank account based on their code. I and not necessarily a hundred percent their code base, but a you know major major driving force in that code base to get paid. So <laughs> more parenting talk here. So I've been talking to Grant some more about you know because. He got an offer. He wasn't happy with the offer. And I said, well, you know what? If you're not happy, then don't take it. It's that simple. You let's, let's evaluate your risks here. Let's whatever. And so um, for for me, um, gosh, I totally lost my train of thought here. Um, basically, I look at my code as artwork. And a lot of people do. Some people are like, huh, it's a computer science, Kevin. And I also do like woodworking on the side. So to your point, I like um, the satisfaction of knowing my code is running brand X or it's in there. It's a little gear. It's not running the whole thing, Kevin. Yeah, we get it, Kevin. You're not that important. <laughs> but it's a nice thing to feel. I like putting artwork in somebody's hands. They hang my artwork on, on their walls because I made some wooden thing. That, I have some right above me right here. Exactly. So that drives me. You know, I I get satisfaction out of that. Um, but I'm a Steve Wozniak, if you will. I'm not a Steve Jobs. I want to be your field general operations manager. I'm going to be your implementer. Don't tell me how to build it. Just tell me what it needs to, you know, end up, you know, the concept, and I will go from there. And I heavily rely on the wonderful leaders of where I work to not be coders, I lean on them to be the entrepreneurs and uh, go from there. Once upon right, But still, nobody in your shop is waking up in the morning and saying, I would like to disrupt email service and oh. guess what we're going to build starting today. <laughs> um, we've talked. And again, I don't really want to get too deep. In so in general, when we're having... Like, hey, guys, or gang, team, folks. Dang it. I got to work on that. <laughs> Word police are coming after me now. Woo-woo. Okay. So, um, you know, 
we'll get asked, what's your dream client? What is, what do you want to work on? And every now and then I'll raise my hand. And I'll say, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had our own product and do that? So I'm that guy who, who is saying, and, and I never get a no, I, I always get a, if the right one comes along, you know, sort of thing. And, and that's hard because it, I, I believe that basically every industry is covered right now. And the only way to be a disruptor is to reinvent the wheel or build a better mousetrap, or maybe that's the same thing and go from there. However, comma, I also really like working with clients that come in off the street, if you will, who have their own product, who have their own vision, who have their own funding. And then they look at us and go, we have no idea how to make this happen. Can you do it for us? I can't tell you the last time I worked on a marketing website and that's a great feeling. I cannot stand <laughs> one more brochure website in my life. One more homepage contact form about us and three, <laughs> three pages of something services. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? If that's what you're coming to us with, uh, it's Wix.com. It's Squarespace. It's Facebook pages. That's, you know, not for me. If if I get on one of those, and it, there may be one in my future one day, I will be less than ha- less than happy, Kevin. Yeah, because <laughs> I want to build platforms. I want to say, you know what? Let's make a big pile of money together, and I I will I'll be your pilot, you know, and you guys provide, you know, what we need, and we do it as a team. That's kind of what we do at work, where it's we're not doing brochure sites. We're going. Yeah, that's a cool thing. And fortunately, we can be a little picky right now. Um, business is still pretty good. And being picky is good because when you are when you can't be picky, you have to uh, download a CMS and make a bunch of work, marketing websites and not be happy. Well, at least I'm just telling you how I feel. <laughs> uh, so does that... Well, where a, I was going... Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, where I was going with all that is, you know, so... Maybe you are a little bit of that code entrepreneurial spirit where you would like to build something with your code that generates revenue for you or your specific organization Yeah, that is a homegrown thing. What I found interesting is over the past few weeks, we've been able to almost watch in real time some of the struggles that code entrepreneurs have. And I'm speaking specifically about the folks over at Basecamp and Hey Email. Because Hey Email is a relatively new product launch that is designed, engineered, and sold as a revolution to email in general. Yes. So, and, uh, and I can never remember the guy's name. I know it's at D, is it DHH? DDH? Uh, David. We're going to call him DAH because Hannemeyer Hansen is yes. way too many syllables. So let's just call him D-A-H from going on. So anyway, he's been pretty transparent in some of the trials and tribulations that their organization has had launching Hey Email. And uh, I thought maybe we could talk about that a little bit today. So it's almost like we planned this episode a tiny bit because we both signed up for Hey Email, right? Well, I think it was important if we were going to speak about it all that we were both kind of at least familiar with what the product was and and not just what they've had to deal with in launching it. So we had a little sidebar conversation at work 
in the virtual water cooler uh, yesterday about this. They're all virtual these days. <laughs> <laughs> and, and somebody had asked, so what's the pitch? Why, Kevin, what's the pitch? I see you signed up because I had mentioned, hey, I signed up. Here's what I think. What, what's, why sign up? Why, I already have an email. Why sign up? And so I tried to boil it down to, okay, here's, if, if I could channel my inner D-A-H-H-H, gosh, I can't even say this acronym. D-H-H-H. Otherwise, I'm saying D-A-A. Anyway, uh, so what's the pitch? Uh, the pitch is is it's basically a every, all emails are denied by default. They, if it's the first time Hay has seen the email, it goes into a holding pen, if you will. Then you have to allow it into your inbox. So it's they call it the screener. You know, it's like a call screener. And then once you're allowed in, then you know, there you go. The other pitch, and I only came up with two. Maybe you can come up with some more. The other pitch here is it scrapes off tracking pixels and the like from the body of an email. So when it comes in and it came in from gosh knows where, and it's got that fucking, I said gosh, and now I said fucking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it scrapes off the, the or it's got a Facebook pixel tracker on it you know it really irritates i think it's more than i think it's just any um yeah it's got tracking they've got a whole list of what they they sniff out and so um those are the two pitches um and what do you think what is there any other pitches like bullet points you're like oh well this is what makes it different um i think that they you know i just from your your initial inbox there's a handful of tutorial links or like you know tips, tricks, some of that references, um, the ability to thread versus not thread. But the big one for me, I, cause I wasn't even aware of the screener aspect when I signed up, um, the big one that caught my eye and it was kind of part of the, the run up promotion, uh, Twitter campaign that DHH kind of was spearheading himself was all about the, you know, kind of jumping on, tired of everybody getting our data, tired of all these tracking pixels, tired of all these marketing emails. And that's the thing that caught my eye and it didn't catch my eye because (laughs) it didn't catch my eye because I would want to opt out of those things. It caught my eye because as someone who works in digital marketing, which is kind of what my actual purview is, not writing code, uh, we have a lot of digital marketing solutions that rely on understanding how our email subscribers and our website visitors, how those two things intertwine. So I was, my interest was pretty peaked because if this thing takes off and really all signs do actually point to that this pixel tracking and tying your email marketing uh, campaigns to your website campaigns is going to become more and more difficult and this just seemed like a really the first time I've seen a stake actually planted in the ground in regards to this. So that's why I was interested in it. As think, far as the other features, meh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think along those lines. So Gmail is kind of infamous for reading your emails through machine learning and AI, and throwing it on your pile of your uh, your profile, if you will. And then they start marketing to you on the right hand side of the, the web app, you know, Hey, 
did you want the flashlight? No, no. What? what, the, what, 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 what? No, it's spam. Dang. How did that pixel get there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that being said, um, it when I log in or, and I use the Android app, it, it very much feels like Basecamp. If you ever use Basecamp, it's like same exact feel, which is fine. That's their brand. That's what, what it looks yeah. like. Um, but I got thinking after a while. Well, I have my own private email. Hey would be cool, but they don't support custom domains yet. They have a roadmap where they're planning on it. It's $99 a year per, per mailbox, but I have my whole family on our custom domain for $30 a year for the whole family. And yep. you may say, ah, oh, well, what about that screener part, Kevin? Well, the thing is, is I already deny all emails and I only white or oh, see, I did it. I was trying to not say that. I was going to say whitelist. Almost. <laughs> Almost allow in um email so when i buy something for the first time from say target i have to know to go to my email and allow that in if i'm going to get an email from somebody i don't know it probably goes to spam that's by design that's kind of how the screener works the only thing that the screener does for me is it susses out hey this is a real this is an actual new person that we've never seen before now uh, it would be nice but i think email clients can catch up to that real quick if if that's a thing, you know, if it's like, Hey, that is, you know, that's a thing we can catch up to that feature of, Hey, the one thing that I think that Hey's got that nobody else has, nor do I see anyone else jumping on real quick is the pixel tracker, uh, cleaner. So I see that to be exclusive to Hey for a while because everyone else, Gmail, no, they're not going to do that. Maybe they'll get rid of everybody else's, but the Google one, um, you know, et cetera. So that's what I think. Well, let's go back to $99 annually. And I know that I've seen um, the folks at Hay tweeting that they're getting a lot of requests for family plans and things like that. But $99 bucks a, a year, I mean, that just feels like a lot for email, especially when you can relatively get it for free through Outlook.com, Gmail.com. Yeah, well, um, but the... If I'm David, I'm just going to call him David. I'm David or Jason. I'm coming at you going, yeah, but you, if you want to value your privacy or you want to get stuff done, because that's their whole screener thing. By the way, inbox, I-M-B-O-X. I hate it. It's not a typo. They even bought the domain. It's not a typo.com. <laughs> I hate it. It's supposed to mean important box, but it's just noisy. Anyway. Right. But to the entrepreneurial aspect of it, especially with a product like email where I just said 13 seconds ago, you've got your outlook.coms, your gmail.coms, you're filling the blank. Any domain sales place does email for you with your domain registration. If you want it, yada, yada, yada. I think you have to come up with something kitschy, unique. Um, I don't think inbox is out of line with the base camp brand or 37 signals or whatever, you know, they're, they don't go by 37 anymore, do they? Nope. They're now just base camp. Okay. But, um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cutesy. Yeah. Is it necessary? No. Um, but I get what they're going for. It's your important box inbox. Yay. I mean, I bet you when they came up with that in a meeting, high fives are probably like flying around like nobody's business. Dude, that's <laughs> awesome. And everyone will think it's a typo and we could buy it's not a typo.com and it would be so awesome. Yeah. And it'll just redirect back to our site. Dude. Oh my God. This is going to be so awesome. Anyway, sorry. That's my inner 
base camp voice there. <laughs> oh boy. David, sorry if you're listening. Uh, that would be Kevin at the Bob and Kevin show. <laughs> yes. And I, and I don't check it. So just go ahead and send it there. Cause I, I don't, I don't even need an inbox for that account. So anyway, moving on. We have a non non box. We call it the non box. The yes, email it's a black hole. It's just check. a black hole. It just goes to nowhere. Okay. So, so let's talk about some of the challenges that they had that we know of. Um, well, they had challenges with their. Oh wait, oh. Well, this, this is thing. gonna this is gonna build a bridge to those challenges. So one other thing that makes it different. Some may call this a pro. Some may, same. Some, if I can talk, may call this a con. You can't use this with. You can't use Hey Email with your native apps uh, email client. You can't use it with, you know, a Thunderbird client or something like that. You have to use their right. You just client. can't hook it up to an SMTP. Yeah, you have to use or that. an IMAP. You know, yeah, exactly. So that's important because why, Bob? I mean, you might need a client app for this, then, right? Somewhere on a certain yes. system. <laughs> yeah. So even before we get to that, can we unpack the requirement for your a native, like a unique app to look at the email? I think that adds app fatigue. You know, like yet another app. Sure, you would love it to be your primary inbox. Like this is the only, you know, but I'm not going to lie. I love the convenience of my work email inbox and my personal email inbox. Email inbox. Wow, I totally reversed Neither that. Neither one of us can um, talk today. <laughs> great, great recipe for a podcast. Um, but I like them being within the same app. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't have app fatigue. And Another point about it being its own app, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes there. You know, we talked about infamously Google, you know, reads your emails. If I'm going through an independent third-party app, first party to them, but third party for me for email, how do I know what's going on behind the scenes Well, there? of course, they're going to say, don't worry, you know, that that's we we got it you know and that's gonna be it that's gonna be a zuckerberg answer oh your privacy is important to us sure it is Mark. triggered sure let's not talk about mark today um so back <laughs> to your point i hadn't considered that until you mentioned that you're right i've got a email client on my phone and it's got add mailbox add mailbox add mailbox so i can have five mailboxes if i have hey email now i definitely have at least two apps one for work because it's not going to be hey and one that's my personal i guess so i have to go two places right so i hadn't considered that that's a huge downer yeah i don't i'm not a big fan of app fatigue i, I don't i would like as much app consolidation as possible and um you know even along the same lines the security thing i get it the tracking thing i get it but we've talked about this many times before on the show the avatars on us are already built. They already know enough about us. So you can't really squeeze that toothpaste back into the tube, push it back into the tube. Oh, I'm terrible today. <laughs> and so I guess if I was 16 years old and just starting out with email, which isn't even true because they have them in grade school now, if I was in kindergarten and just starting out with email and I got my Hey Email box for my first email, great you're leaving a smaller digital footprint but 
So for most of us, that's not the case. Can I put you down in the col- mark a little check mark in the column for Bob doesn't think this is actually necessarily a good business plan? I'm going to be very interested to see where it goes. I know they had a lot of people um, sign up for invites, and then they took away the invite barrier, which I think was part of the Apple yes, it was discussion that we'll get to. And I know that David has put out tweets talking about how much conversion they had on their first batch, which was pretty interesting and exciting. I'll be curious to see how far it goes. Not going to lie. Same here. Because uh, I really do kind of like Basecamp. I, I like the idea of their company and whatnot. David is just really over the top on social media. So... You know, I, well, do, I'm, do you want to bridge into starting to talk about that with Apple or because I mean, we put a shout out and we asked for some input from Twitter followers and we really like Christian Steinmeier was the only one who kind of said, hey, he's a big fan. I love that we get to say hey all the time because we do actually say hey, hey all the time. Hey, <laughs> but he said he was a big fan and, and David actually liked it or retweeted it or something. I don't remember what happened there, but no uh, I guess Hay retweeted it, not David. Hey, whoever's doing Hay's social media did it. Um, but no outreach from anyone other than Christian that said he was a big fan. So. All right, so let's set the table here. So a few weeks ago, Hay's going live. They're in the Android store. They're in the Apple store. They find a bug. They they push the fix to Apple, and Apple outright rejects it, and David's gobsmacked, right? So where did the red flag come up with that, though? Because they were already in the store. Does the upgrade trigger some kind of review? Every, or is that every, like a, every a version switch protection? Every version gets a review, and I think it came out that maybe the original shouldn't have been approved, uh, you know, to begin with. Then, so if we fast forward a little bit, um, David goes out on Twitter, has kind of a public fight one-sided public fight for the most part with Apple. <laughs> Apple's <laughs> and, not really good about responding to tweets. FYI. No. And then um, Apple did respond to David through a letter in Basecamp, but they also sent it to like the press. You know, Apple did at the same time, which is like, well, I think that's, that's because weird. <laughs> I think it's because David made it so public to begin with though. Yeah. And if I'm a bet man and I, what's his name? Schiller, Peter Schiller. I, I don't know. Does that sound right? Somebody at Apple basically said, well, you've got these options here. We've got these uh, guidelines and you can play by the rules or you can just not have an app in our store. And David did not like that answer at all. Can you elaborate on the rules a little bit more? So I'm pretty in the dark about the rules. Hi, Bob. My name's Kevin. What's that? You would like an iOS app in the app store? Well, sure. First off, I need a really big check. Um, that's for me. A second off, I need uh, to turn around and spend a hundred dollars and become an Apple iOS developer, become part of the program. And then once right, we uh, sure. do all of that, and you tell me all the great things to do with that, we need to submit it to the App Store because basically, Android's like you can send me a turd in binary, and we'll we'll take it. Apple, not so much. They're like, whoa, let's take a look at this. So they have a huge gate uh, and they have all these guidelines. And if I were to. I'm okay with the gate for the record. Because yeah. you mentioned that the Android marketplace is filled with 
turd wrapped binary. Yes. So. <laughs> so, so if I read the bullet points of the guidelines, first off, they're guidelines. They don't call them rules necessarily. They call them guidelines. So I'll kind of cover that a little more. That later. adds some flexibility right there. Sure does. <laughs> so they're bullet points on these rules, and we'll have a link probably. Safety, performance, business, design, legal. So that's kind of how they break it down. The the thorny part that Hay got hung up on, the app itself, was the fact that they did not have in-app payments. And being, okay, now I took my, my I'm a developer hat off because I, or iOS developer hat because I'm actually not one. So I'm now just Kevin. So I did not know that Apple wants you to have in-app payments in their, in the app or they basically don't want you in their store. Because, because they make a cut on the in-app payments. They right? make 30% pre-tax, pre-tax, 30% of any revenue that comes in. So imagine you're a business and you're starting up brand new and you're a mobile first company. You're going to be in the Android store. You want to be in the Apple app store. So right away, both of them. So Android, same thing, 30%. They're going to take 30% of your revenue. So if you get all of your revenue for your entire business that way, you gotta you gotta build in a thirty percent cut. Well, do you think they were aware of that when they decided on their ninety nine dollar a year price point? Yes. In fact, if you well, if you were to read the constant ranting, almost Trump esque, uh, you know, ranting from David of the injustices happening to him. Um, you would actually figure out that, yes, they did know about it and they did not put in app payments. And I think their expectation was that it's crazy and we're not going to play by your rules, Apple. So we're just going to do what we want anyway. And we're going to cite Gmail, a couple other email apps and Netflix as our, see, we're just like them. Tell us how we're different. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And but it might add more confusion. So their thought was you download the app from the marketplace. Yes. You have a trial account already or no. you set up your At trial At this account? point in time, there is no trial. You had to get an invite code and you had to put in your credit card information on the Hey website only. So you basically just download the app and you log in. Oh, because I didn't. Apple when I registered does not for allow my invite. That. Right, but when I registered for my invite, I didn't put in any credit card information in. Ah, you're you're getting ahead, Bob. So, oh, did we do all this after everything aha. changed? So, Apple <laughs> in their letters, like you can do this, 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 and this. Fast forward to the next weekend, and the weekend I'm saying is important. Oh yes, the weekend, <laughs> because <laughs> the folks at Basecamp, the ones who also basically call you out as being a sucker for working nights and weekends work their nights and weekends <laughs> to be able to provide a uh, way around the Apple guidelines, which actually isn't around. It's basically to comply with the Apple guidelines. And one of those things that um, Apple suggested was, well, offer a free trial. Then there's no problem because that's allowed. And then now you know why there's no more invite codes. Now you know why David goes on Twitter and says, hey, please don't buy invite codes off eBay or wherever you're getting them from because they're about to be worthless because we're going to take the gate down. So because we got in late, we got in free. Like initially it wasn't free. I'm initially totally there was no free trial. Here. There was, it was not a freemium model initially. 
So you got an invite to pay $99? Oh, well, there may have been a grace period. You know. Okay, so you got an invite for a 14-day trial, basically. Maybe. Yeah, I can't, I can't speak to that. But basically, Apple said, no, 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 no. Unless you offer some way to get an app for free or, or take Apple payments through the app, we're not going to let you do this. And then Apple had a whole statement about, we don't want apps that don't work right out of the way. So the idea is if you download an app and you can't use it until you go to a third-party website... They're trying to suss those out. So they basically said, hey, if you allow it free and it can be used right away, that's what we want. And of course, David kind of got a little, threw a little tantrum about that. He's like, oh, Apple's telling us how to design our app now. You know, that's, that's just wrong. And they want 30% of all of our revenues. And I have to, at this point, say, well, um, if I put my, hey, I'm Kevin, I'm a developer. I want to help you with your iOS. At this point in the game, we might say, here's the rules that we have to play by before we get into any code. That was the big question I was going (laughs) to ask is like, did they intentionally try to go around the whole thing or did they, were they just ignorant to the rules of the game? I think like anything else, they read the rules and went, well, how can we interpret this to our advantage? Just like a lot of people do. Well, Gmail's doing this. Clearly, they're not doing whatever. So we'll just say we're like them. They'll approve it. They had hubris at this point, right? They had, we're base camp. We're rock stars. We can do whatever we want. People will just love us. That's my humble so how does So how does Gmail get around it? don't know. Don't how does Gmail. Netflix get around it? Well, Gmail has a free. I mean, you can use Gmail for free. So maybe oh, that's just true. So it. they meet the first requirement. Netflix, Netflix is different. So there's a loophole. This gets so complicated. There's a loophole for content, <laughs> digital content. So readers, they call them oh reader God, apps. The, the old digital content discussion. Yeah. So if if you're providing video or like eBooks, things like that, you you some of these rules don't apply to you, and that's where Netflix does. So if and you Amazon were to, works the same way, then yes, the oh. Amazon shopping app. I I assume. Yeah. Oh, well, physical goods are different. So yeah, any this thirty percent does not apply to to that, and it has a different set of rules. You're right. So Netflix, though, if you download the app, all you can do is log in. You cannot sign up for Netflix there, and right. they. So you have to have an account already. Yeah, over Christmas, which is kind of like what Basecamp was going for. <laughs> yes. So over Christmas, uh, infamously, Netflix disallowed using Apple Pay on their website because they got in a tiff with Apple themselves. And there's currently a tiff. Because of 30%? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a current tiff right now going with Spotify, who sued Apple um, in the European Union over these practices. So, uh, hey. do your homework. I was bored today. (laughs) Hey and Basecamp um, aren't alone. So I don't want to make it sound like Hey and Basecamp and David are just completely you know, coming out left. They're not. If I came to you, Bob said, Hey, you know what? Yeah. You want to, you want to set up shop here? Yeah. Hey, uh, I just need 30% of everything you make before tax. Sound good. And you'd be like, uh, what? (laughs) Isn't it like a a fixed amount or, you know, is it? Nope. 30%. And you might say, I feel like that's loan sharking. Well, whoops. I, I put together a huge list and as Bob, I don't know what fixes his mic. Okay. (laughs) He's still good. So I wanted to bring up the concept of ecosystems, right? So right now I think a lot of things have evolved to the ecosystem economy, if you will. 
So in the early days, um, we these weren't called ecosystems. They were kind of called format wars. Um, if we go on the Wayback Machine, we have AC versus DC. And I'm not talking about rock bands. I'm talking about Tesla and Westinghouse versus Edison. Edison was trying to push DC for long-haul transmission. Direct current. Exactly. And alternating current came from Tesla and Westinghouse. Um, obviously, for long-haul currents, we use AC these days. And now we have wall warts on all of our... Uh, electronics or they're built in so that we can convert from AC back to DC. We had <laughs> beta versus VHS. And then if a little newer, we had HD DVD versus Blu-ray. So I think we know which... Don't forget LaserDisc. Uh, I don't think that was really competing with anyone. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a blink in the moment of history. Um, so, so now we call them ecosystems because Google has one um amazon has one through their fire os if you've ever used the fire tablet it's android but it's got you know the the amazon in between layer that really restricts everything um we've got facebook pages i have a question mark there is that really kind of an ecosystem you know is that it's like well i think facebook is an ecosystem (laughs) yes because they have app development Yes. Okay. There you go. Uh, we have Microsoft. They have the Microsoft Store in Windows 10, um, and then we have kind of like the video games. We have PlayStation. You know, you buy your games now directly in in the menus of PlayStation, Xbox, Steam. Can you think of any other big ones that I couldn't think of there? As far as who has big ecosystems? No, nah, that was pretty. Um, that was pretty comprehensive. All right, so why why have an ecosystem? Um, mainly, well, it's going to once somebody comes into your bubble, it's it's like it's hard to get out, right? Because once you invest personally and even professionally into things, you know, it's um, going to be you know very hard for you to get back out. So uh, we also call it vendor lock in sometimes, you know, at the business level. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we're a Microsoft shop. That means we got to buy the servers. We got to use .NET. We got to do this. We can't use that. Uh, we, you know, so it, it comes under different banners there. And uh, I think it's very profitable. Why, why do you think ecosystems are so popular, Bob? Well, when you start to talk about things like 30% juice um, for in-app sales or on-platform sales or in-ecosystem sales, that's a big uh, that's a big revenue generator. Ecosystems are probably also important for advertising platforms because then you can also generate more revenue from your ecosystem users. Uh, so, so early on in the developer guidelines document, it, it basically says, we want to have a highly curated set of apps for the App Store for Apple. And for everything else, and I quote, for everything else, there's always the open internet, which I always look at that and go, basically, it's our way or the highway, but here's a nicer way to say it, right? Right. Except for you can't go to siteabc.com and download their app direct to your phone. Yeah, we've got a million, or we'll pick a big number of of eyeballs at any given moment. And if you want a piece of any of those eyeballs, don't worry. We've made it convenient for you to pay us 30% 30% pre-tax, you know, clapping. I feel like it's WDC. Woo, yeah, 30% <laughs> pre-tax. Tim Cook, you were the man. Nobody <laughs> says that. Yeah, anyway. Um, so I think there's a discount on that 30% over time. Like, I think it falls like 15%. I really don't know. I'm, um, I hope there's tiers because that would 
I mean, in perpetuity, that'd be awful. It would be awful. And, you know, it, we, we have ubiquity these days. You know, someone's got an Android phone or they've got an Apple phone. And they can both charge 30%, which they do, which in my mind yeah, is that collusion a bit. Hey, you're 30%. We're 30%. Uh, yeah, right. Because just... as soon as Android dropped to 15, Apple would be relatively forced to do so as well. Or, or grow the other way. Hey, it's now uh, 32.5%. Hey, we're only doing what the what the uh, industry standard now is, 32.5%. Right. <laughs> like, they both agreed. Okay. Um, of course, these are guidelines. So... When you look at bigger companies, you got to kind of think and go, you know, is there some backdoor deals going on here? You know, I, I like to think that the small businesses of America bear the brunt of getting screwed the most because there's so many of them and they, they're just so disparate and they can't fight the man where these big right. companies come in and go, hey, you're going to take Gmail and you're going to like it. You know, of course, I know they've rejected Facebook a lot, but I think there's like like personal issues. It's like, you know, a bad relationship between Apple and Facebook. So I get that one. But there's got to be backdoor deals, right? I think that there are agreements that happen out of the public eye to, you know, expedite things and maybe provide deep discounts and workarounds and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. So, so let's talk about the good stuff about ecosystems because there are some good stuff. You're going to get probably more tighter quality control. Here's the rules. We're curating it. We can tell you to go pound sand, go back and fix this. So, you know, so for the end user, the person who is not a, the, the app consumer, that person's probably getting a better app. Would you agree? Or maybe not based on your demeanor. <laughs> well, I'm thinking specifically uh, your honor that uh, Facebook <laughs> is counter that ecosystem argument. <laughs> I present exhibit A. That All ecosystem right. does not provide anything better for the user. I, I'm going to come down I on the, the ecosystem actually uh, I was just gonna negative s- things. I was just going to say, I'm going to come down on the side of, you know, I think they can, you know, quality control a little bit better because if you look at Android, that would be my exhibit as the opposing counsel. I'd be like, look at this shit show over here, you know? So, uh, sustainability, um, you know, it takes money to make money, you know, having done open source and stuff like that, or just working in the digital business in general, it takes money to keep the ship going. So you've got to have a revenue source come in. So let's say you had a million apps all curated and they're all great, but you saw zero cents of it. You would still earn a shit ton of money for providing the hardware, right? You would earn a shit ton of money for indirect things. The video game industry had something like this in the past. Hey, we're Nintendo. We created the Super Nintendo. We have a few first-party games. And if you want to put your your game on our system, you license, you know, the ability to come onto our platform. So this isn't like, like Apple invented this. This has been around for ages and ages. But it, it also does mean you have You're to... You're going to well, make money off of our platform. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I can see definitely where that's a thing. And then, obviously, this is a pro for Apple. <laughs> Control. It's our ecosystem. We'll do what we damn well please with it. And I think and I would maybe imagine, they could. <laughs> I would imagine that's the primary objective to create an ecosystem is the, the control aspect. Not, yeah. not having one myself, but I, putting myself in the shoes of someone creating or a team creating an ecosystem, that's probably the primary. Uh, and that's what I was going to ask you. If you had your own ecosystem, do you really want somebody 
coming in and telling you how to run your business. You know, we're in a, um, we've, you're currently in a CMS ecosystem. I used to be in this ecosystem when I, you know, wanted to do certain things. The controllers basically said, nope, not going to happen. And that's it. That's the final. It's not my platform. All right. See you. Have a nice life. You know, <laughs> I can tell you there's a lot of that still going on just for the record. So, and, and if that's the culture they want, that's the culture they'll get. And so, yeah. you know, good for them. Uh, all right. <laughs> Any other benefits? Have, Cause I only had three. You, no, I, I was actually going to bring up the, ask you if you heard of any of the other challenges that they were having with the launch, not just with Apple and the whole ecosystem stuff. Um, yes. Uh, the, the main thing is, is they've been getting, uh, attacked from some, some mail spammers. And yeah. so, yeah, and I like the way that's being spun in the public. Uh, I think anyone who operates email servers is always under attack. I don't think it's unique to, Hey, and, the base camp folk, but I, it's interesting because when he first started tweeting about it, I thought they were personal attacks. He was receiving personal attacks via email of him and his wife for some reason. I don't know why his wife got, but did you, did you see anything like that or read anything? No. The only thing I saw was, Hey, let's turn this lemons into lemonade by saying, look, my screener part, you know, you know, right. is working. It's working, but it's also got to be distracting because what happens with you need one out of those 12,000 <laughs> emails to in you know whitelet or allow dang it i really got it right if you're Deep yeah questions. if you're get if you're <laughs> if your inbox m is getting pounded and there's one good email and those 10,000 bogus emails then yeah you're not going to screen that one through you, you don't you, you can't see the signal from the noise at that point right now they might, I'm sure they're using RBLs just like any other spam, any other email service provider is going to use to like block as many as possible before they get to the M box. But well, I had, yeah. I had mentioned, Hey, why don't you throw a cloud flare in front of that? And of course that turned into a little discussion because at some point these emails are got to be coming from somewhere, start blocking network connections from you know, those can, you know, whatnot. So I have a feeling that they're a little bit behind on some of that, which is fine. It's a new product, but if you're paying 99 bucks a year right now and you got 12,000 emails and you can't get your email from your wife to come through because you can't find it on the list. Anyway, it'd probably be frustrating. I've been checking mine every couple of days and I don't have any, I mean, like I didn't really highly publicize the email address, but um, I think I did put it out somewhere. But I haven't picked up any spam yet. Though, well, so. I so when I signed up, I tried to get Kevin at hey.com. Of course, guess what, Bob? It was taken. Already taken and probably, well, I guess they say two or three letter ones are really expensive, but five's not too bad. But what I'm getting at is if, if I'm a bad person and I want to spam not only David, but everyone, I just need to basically rely on humans and go, you know what? I bet you there's an Andrew at hey. I bet you there's a Jacob. I bet you there's a Sally. Yep. And just go down the dictionary list. Attack. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <sighs> now, when I signed up, so here's the weird thing. I must have signed up on the evening or the afternoon when they changed everything. Like Ooh. when it changed the app store thing, didn't require an invite code anymore. Um, because I, I signed up for an invite code, got the confirmation email, no invite code in yet, just that we got your thing. 
then I think the very next morning they're like, hey, just log in and or go sign up. So I went to sign up and I used, I don't even think I asked for it. I just first name, last name, and they stripped out the hyphen and gave me Bob.BadyBar at Hey. And you signed up and tried to get Kevin, Kevin Dot. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't. It said a dot is not, a, you know, a valid character. So, which is kind of curious because dot is definitely a valid email character and it definitely helps break up the monotony of a really very common in corporate mailboxes, too. So that was disappointing. Maybe that's a, just a oops. Um, speaking of oopses, um, prior to when we got to sign up, every email conversation on Hey was publicly viewable if you one of the two parties opted into sharing it, which is like, I think a bad idea. And they, they got rid of it pretty quick, but imagine not being on Hey, but you're on Hey. And then, then opting in for this, just any email you get, for, you know, is now just public and you can just figure out what the link is. Just imagine how bad. Of, I just think that was a terrible idea. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I understand the intent of it, and it does already happen with screen grabs and copies and paste, but to expose an entire thread just via a link yeah. without any authentication, I feel like it opens them up to a you know a flood attack to their API endpoints because it's probably pretty easy to figure out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the privacy thing and the sharing shit you're not supposed to... That happens every day anyway, so I wasn't too worried about that. So David's response while he was digging in before he gave in was, that's how email works. You literally send a copy. But David, what you're saying is, is, wait a second, when I send data from one computer to another, I'm sending digital copies of what I'm doing? Well, yeah, we, we, we send copies of everything. You can't physically send anything digital, so you can't use this uh you know reasoning of that well we send copies so why not uh well that then why do we need ssl why do we need encryption why do we need any of that if i mean it's all just a copy so it should be public i think it was asinine yeah and that that kind of raised questions for me i mean i get it i think their initial plan was to have the invites so you request an invite that becomes their their pre-launch beta basically you know before they open it up to everyone and then the Apple Store thing got in the way of that. And so oh, yeah. it kind of ended their public beta because they had to break down the the invite barrier. And that's when things like the public, you know, click the box to make the thread public. And I think that's just a rough start for any app. I mean, I know we're in a different environment now where it's short release cycles and, you know, dot releases and dot, dot, dot releases, pretty common you know, update every five days, update every three days kind of thing. It's kind of annoying when it's everywhere, but I get it. But I don't think that's what their plan was. <laughs> yeah. And so we really haven't kind of taken sides, if you will, uh, for Apple versus, hey, so I'm going to go on record and say, you know what? As much as I don't like Apple's guidelines, I think they're completely in the right to put up a curation, a gate, if you will, and be like, look, this is ours. However, one flaw, however, comma, one flaw with that is, you know, we, we kind of see the cycle of things. We're a new tech company. We need to bootstrap an ecosystem together. Let's just say you and I are starting the Bob and Kevin ecosystem. 
and we're going to be really nice to everyone. So they come in and they make these apps for us. But once we hit critical mass, guess what we can say to everyone? Fuck you. We don't need you no more. And I think that's kind of what some of the messaging around Apple has been lately. It's like, you know, we don't need you. We don't need your app. It's like, oh, that's just really ungrateful, isn't it? It is ungrateful, but I have a problem with 30%, but I don't have a problem with like 10. I mean, I think you should have to pay to be part of the world's most strategic, oh God, most prestigious <laughs> app experience, you know? All right, I'm okay so, with that. So let's just do a little comparison. So Apple takes 30% of you know, a transaction for digital goods. You know, if you were to use Stripe or somebody like that or PayPal, even two and a half to 3%, somewhere in that range, that's a huge difference. Now you may, now we're not comparing apples to apples, right? Because, (laughs) Oh, we're paying apples. Pun alert. Pun alert. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's a joke in there somewhere. Um, so apples apples, comparing apples to stripes. Apple is obviously providing more than what just the, the payment processor is. But I think that gap between 30% and 3% is what Basecamp and David and any other small business is looking at. Wait a second. What's our operating cost? Well, it's 3% here. Well, it's 30% over there. What? Why is that? Well, it's because that's the price you pay to get in there. It's the cost of doing business. You know, there'll be some pun. But can you imagine, or actually, as an Apple user, Bob, how often, and I think I know the answer, have you paid for anything in an iOS app with PayPal? No, because I, I have it. I have everything, all my payment stuff on my phone tied to my Apple Pay. But you know why you can't? Because they don't allow it. Ah, well, I never even tried, so. Right, but so not only are they gatekeeping developers, they're gatekeeping third parties who can't even really pay to play unless they literally go to Apple and on the, you know with their hat in their hands, their head bowed in sorrow. Can we please... Please work somehow with your apps. And that's that's a huge amount of power. And um, I don't know what the answer is other than, well, that's just Apple. I mean, I feel like we need more competition. And then well, but cor- there's, two, there's two levels of layers of control there, though. They only have to maintain the ability to work with one payment provider, their payment provider. And but who's that better for? Apple. Not for the developer. No, it's not better for the user either. But it is, I mean, it is their ecosystem. You can always, you always have the option to not be in that ecosystem. (laughs) According, according to the guidelines for everything else, there's always the open internet. The open internet. So I want to go through real quick, if I can, my list of cons of sort of the ecosystem effect here. So we talked about the 30% versus, you know, a cheaper payment processing fee. Um, it also, they become a bit of a free speech stifler and free speech isn't really not like first amendment, but just speech stifler. They can influence who sees apps and who doesn't. So, uh, you know, based on our rules, we can say, well, you know, or our curation, well, we decided to, to, to deny you on this one, but some political group over here who's pro something we're into, we just, yeah, yeah just let them in, you know, they're, they're on our but team. But we have no, 
We have now, no evidence is, of that, though. This, this is, is speculation. This is complete innuendo. I, I will, <laughs> I will <laughs> admit that. Um, you know, an Apple. The biggest thing is they can kill your app overnight. They can be like, "Oh, oops, delete." out of the app store. And if you're an iOS only or first company, that's a big deal. And that's, but I would also argue that if you put all your eggs in one basket, you are okay with this potential outcome because that's what could happen. Um, well, and if you go, if you go to brick and mortar and you're, unless you own the building and all the equipment inside to make your widgets, Anybody can come and take their equipment back. Anybody can kick you out of your lease. So here's a slimy thing that's kind of happening. And I've seen this in other ecosystems in the CMS world. So Apple has decided to start putting their own apps in their store and started promoting their apps that do the same thing as that app, that really popular one here. And it that's totally the kills the market. Thing I've seen. That's the sleaziest thing. And I've seen that in a lot of ecosystems, not just Apple. In fact, I've seen that in probably every ecosystem. Just like, oh, yeah. that's a popular thing. Well, let's make a clone of that and kill that. Hey, have a nice day. <laughs> so uh, I believe they're in legal trouble I, I for that. Like that's cutting, I feel like that's cutting really close to the bone for one of us. Uh, it is. It is. Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't pass it. <laughs> and so um, a lot of people say, you know what? It's just not worth being in an app store. And Bob, to that you would say... I don't know what I'd say because okay. it's your choice. What so, would you say? Well, a lot of people are suggesting that app development, native app development for iOS and Android might be dead for something that you mentioned earlier, app fatigue. People just don't want to deal with it. Yeah, so, but you have control of your own app fatigue for the most part. Like if you don't want to have another email app, you don't get it. That's but true. If you have something that solves a problem that people are going to want, and the best way to do that is to get it in front of their faces inside the app store. You kind of want to be, I mean, you're, you're going to be willing to pay something to have that opportunity to have your app be seen. What if you could have most of the functionality of a native app and not be in the app store? Oh yeah. Um, PWAs. That's boom. Mm. You fell into my trap. PWAs. That's exactly where I was leading you to. Progressive web apps. And I, I found some good articles and long story short, progressive web app needs three things to be considered a, a PWA. And I, I had to look this up. I'm like, oh, what are these three things? Well, it needs a valid uh, web manifest file. And it's a file that basically says metadata about, um, tells your browser using icons and things like that. And it can be installed uh, like an app to your home screen. And then it has to use a service worker. Um, and we have an app that I've, I, I did not know this, but uh, browsers, you can run a service worker on. And I'm like, what is a service worker? It's a not process. Not all browsers. Not all browsers. And then we're going to cover that in a second. Uh, <laughs> and then um, it's going to be over HTTPS. So on an Apple device, what's the browser that comes with it, Bob? Safari. I've heard, and maybe you can tell me if this is true or not, because I don't use Safari that much. I use it on my iPad, but Safari is now the new IE because IE is dead and Edge has moved to Chromium. <laughs> so Safari, you are now the lowest common denominator we got to deal with. Yeah, and the last time I checked, uh, Safari does not allow service workers, which would probably 
make a lot of sense since that would be in direct competition with their app store. There you go. Man, this is a great, great discussion here. You're right. So Apple has every... But remember, I'm not a developer. (laughs) Apple has every uh, ability to make Safari do all the great things that Chrome can do uh, and whatnot. But they are choosing actively to kind of handicap Safari, if you will, to, to avoid it competing with their app store and there's a great article i read that most of them aren't showstoppers but there's some really heinous things like when you when you use a uh, web app uh with a service worker and you uh use it with safari apple will kick it out of your phone automatically after like 10 days go by if you don't use it and so if you if you rely on well we've already downloaded these assets you know blah 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 you can't rely on it. I mean, there's just like so many gotchas here. So Apple, I look at you and go, are you really doing everything you could with PWAs? Oh, I get it. I get <laughs> it. Because what does that do? It, it hurts your control. Oh, you don't yeah. get your 30%. I get it. But we'll throw everyone a little bone and be like, well, yeah, we support PWAs. I oh, just haven't gotten to Safari up to date yet. It's not that big a deal. So but that's how they get you as an app developer, though, because that is your only revenue possibility. Revenue potential is to go into the store and pay so, 30%. So I'm going to ask some really pointy questions. It, and there's no wrong answer here because I don't, once again, I don't think we'll solve anything. No. Is Apple doing anything wrong with their business model, Bob, to you? Not just legal, not talking just legally, but is anything rub you raw with their business model? I just think the juice is a little too high. I think that they could stand to provide the same opportunity to developers without charging 30% on any revenue generated in the apps. Is this something regulatory people should look at? Uh, Yeah, I think that that's a great idea. Again, though, I think our government and regulatory agencies have are no so far idea behind. What to yeah. ask. <laughs> so I'm far behind there. technology, they don't know how to manage it, and that's that's the giant, you know, slippery slope that we're on. Technology is running the world right now, and governments don't know how to manage it. Okay, so you and I are old enough. You 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 may have remembered it. I vaguely remember it when Ma Bell got broke up. Or at least I've got heard the, the ill communication. So <laughs> I think it was AT&T, right? Just got too big. They were into too many things and they broke them up into the baby bells. The baby bells. So fast forward to 2020. We have a ton of conglomerate tech companies. Google. Oh my gosh. What aren't they in? Facebook. We did, same an, thing. We did an episode about that. <laughs> Amazon. Apple. At some point, do you, do you start going, okay, are you selling phones or are you selling software? You, you can't, can't choose both. And... Maybe that's crazy thing to think of. So let me ask you that. Is that a crazy thing? And maybe the answer is yes. And two, is there a way to break up these conglomerates so that we can have an open field again? Because I feel like there's just not enough competition. But I think the fact that we have multiple conglomerates that kind of play in the same sandbox, I think that circumvents the, the monopolistic you know, label that would be put on them. I think that's the problem. If one of those hand, one of those handful of companies were to go belly up, like let's say that that 
because advertisers are bailing out on Facebook for some t- remarkable twist of goodness, beautifulness, <laughs> yeah, that Facebook goes under, then I think the conversation starts. Like, is Google, Amazon, are they enough? You know, are they, <sighs> are, are, is two conglomerates enough? So part of me thinks that they do compete, you know, Android versus iPhones, Cle- clearly head to head competition there. But then the other part of me is like, maybe they're just colluding with each other. Maybe they're just like winking a nod. Hey, you know, you don't go here. We don't go there. We'll charge about the same and we'll just all be rich. I definitely think there's gentlemen's agreements in place to make sure that everyone's getting the biggest slice of the pie that they can. And I've, s- I've said it a few times. I blame Microsoft and all this for fucking up the Windows phone. And, you know, <laughs> I hear it was great. I don't know. Didn't never got to it because it died before I could, I guess. So oh, I Bobby still have one. one. <laughs> Does it work? Yeah. So so is there like apps store and stuff? Uh, there's probably no app ecosystem for it anymore, but I still use it for uh, browser testing, basically. Oh. Just an extra device. I don't to, know if that really counts as I still have. I mean, it does, but <laughs> you don't like use it on a daily basis, right? No, no. Okay. I keep it charged for testing though. Okay. Wow. That's a fun fact. It's a rock solid piece of hardware. I mean, it's, it's easily 10 years old. Easily. All right. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, yeah, I, I have said many times, Apple's a monopoly, but then when it comes down to getting the brass tax on, okay, what part is a monopoly, Kevin? I have a hard time. I have a hard time identifying it because they're into so much. And I think that's maybe what I'm maybe misinterpreting. Maybe they're too much of a vertically integrated. They, they control the vertical integration. They have the, the phones, they have the software, they have the, the distribution, they have everything. And maybe that's, so does Android. They do. And and maybe I'm just angry about it, <laughs> I guess. Well, I just think it would be nice if there... I think we'd all feel a little bit better if there was one or two more players that actually had any kind of meaningful... And, and maybe at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to for David and Hay, you know? Maybe he just wants to add to that so that, you know this is giving him a lot of credit that that users have another choice. I think more choices are definitely good and needed. And the other thing that just burns me is when that another choice comes along, one of those aforementioned companies acquires them. Gobbles them up. It's like, ugh. yeah, honest, honest question. Who? I mean, obviously the answer is, well, one day, maybe, but do you see another giant tech company or are they are the ones that we currently have so big? It's it's like growing a nice grass outside. You know, the weeds can't grow because the turf is so strong, you know, that there is no room for a tree to grow out there because the turf is so healthy and strong and dominant that maybe we can't expect another company. You know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Apple. They all rose to power before 2010. And, you know, Uber, which isn't in this realm. I'm trying to think of giant ass tech companies that have come along in the last 10 years. And I can't think of any. 
I think if Elon put his mind to it and his people power, they could probably come up with one. I think if we were truly a global tech community, there'd probably be companies like a Huawei that could probably, you know, lend to some more competition in that realm. But obviously that's totally sketch and they're well, out of the even, picture. Even like Alibaba, isn't that like the biggest retailer in the world? But they don't yes. sell here, right? Nope. Why is that? Probably some backroom deal that keeps them out of the ecosystem. I'm trying to struggle there too. You know, why? Why would one of oh, the largest retailer online just not choose the U.S. market? We're not well, exactly a small economy. Some, they've probably got some friendly agreements with China and stuff like that, and that's probably the primarily primary reason why they're not here. Okay, could yeah, that, could that be. would be my guess. Totally out of ignorance, but that's my guess. I like ignorant answers. We have those all the time <laughs> on the Bob and Captain Show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, Bob. Um, we've reached the end of my list here. What else do we got? Nice. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add. I just thought this was an interesting topic that kind of got us a little bit out of politics and a little bit more in the world of tech, and I, I'm happy about that. So I'm excited to to pretend that we're to pretend that we're in some normalcy again and do some more hard-hitting tech. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. That was good. Um, I guess until next time or whatever we say now. Yep. Until the next time we drop an episode, check us out on the socials. Hey, have you ever wondered how you can get in touch with us at the Bob and Kevin Show? Well, first... You can try us via email at comments at bobandkevinshow.com. Or are you more into social? If so, you can find us on Twitter at Bob and Kevin Show. Or on Instagram as Bob N. Kevin Show. That's Bob, the letter N, Kevin Show. And if you're still on Facebook, you can even find us at facebook.com slash Bob and Kevin Show. And for the serious business fans, you can even find us on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash company slash the dash Bob dash Kevin dash show. How's that for a handle? Let's connect. 